Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. Okay, so if you have followed me for any time, you know that I can tend to be a little critical of HR. And it's not because I don't believe that people are doing good jobs in that work. It's that a lot of DEI issues um, that are coming up in the workplace, many HR professionals aren't trained to really handle or manage. And so that then runs into other issues and challenges in the workplace. And so today we're going to kind of unpack some of that with today's guest. So today's guest is Zanika Chapman, who is a personal and executive coach and talks about workplace bullying um, as it relates to racial issues, but also other issues as well. So Zanika, welcome. Hello, hello. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Hey, Sasha. I'm so excited to have this conversation because, you know, as I said, many people um, think that I'm very critical of HR, which I can tend to be, but a lot of it really is that HR kind of got DEI dumped on them, right? So it was kind of this unfortunate situation where people are kind of learning as they're going, but then also some things that come innate to some people aren't necessarily innate to others. To others, So can you talk to us a little bit first about the work that you do, but then why is this an issue um, or a topic that you focus on? Yeah, so I do a lot of work around helping women who are recovering from workplace-related trauma, meaning they have experienced harm in the workplace as a result of doing something that all of us do five days out of the week, which is go to work. And I actually was a um, victim of workplace bullying myself. And I learned very quickly um, that my HR representative had absolutely no idea how to deal with the issues that I was bringing to them and was even told at the height, at the very worst of my workplace bullying experience by HR that perhaps the reason why my manager was harassing me or making me feel less than or targeting me um, in the workplace was all designed as a part of that leader strategy to make me a better employee. And I think that was when I really kind of was, <laughs> I was kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this because, you know, I had not worked in HR. And at that time in my career, I wasn't a people leader, but I was a big nerd. And I had read probably every leadership book published at the time. And I remember kind of looking at him and saying, you know, I've read probably every leadership book. I've probably taken more leadership trainings than you on my own dime. And I don't think that I've ever been in a training where I've heard, hey, the way that you make employees better is to make them feel bad. Yeah, definitely. So that was when I really kind of went on my own journey to find out what was actually happening to me because mm. I was young. I was a person of color. And you know how it is, Sasha. We don't ever want to say, you know, I, I think I'm being discriminated against. That's kind of like our last resort. Last resort. Like, yeah. This person's not cool or I don't like this or I don't like that. And we don't ever just really want to call a thing a thing. Yeah. And once I got really clear that, you know what, I was treated really poorly. I was discriminated against for whatever reason and started to research that actually what happened to me was I was bullied at work. Um, 
was when I really kind of got upset. And I was like, why is nobody talking about this? Like, because mm. all I had heard from everyone, you know, other women, other people of color, other mentors was, hey, Zanika, if you're going to be in this world, that is just the way it is. And you just have to accept it. And so when I found out, like, that this was really happening, that workplace bullying, there's an actual institute. If you Google it, thousands of, of returns will pop up. I was really upset that nobody was actually talking about this issue. And I and I learned that it was because a lot of people just don't even know that it exists. We just chop it up to the big umbrella of DEI or the big umbrella of toxic work environments, and we don't ever really tackle it. Yeah. You know, there's so much that you said that I, I was raising my hand. <laughs> You know, just now, because my challenge in the workplace was someone that was in HR as well, too. Actually, a couple of people that were in HR. Um, and one situation, my HR business partner, um, after I'm actually saying the words harassment and discrimination, um, was told, well, why don't you just get over it? Mm -hmm. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> That's not how this works. Um and then, you know, the other situation was a director in an HR role who was actually gaslighting me by putting in other people's heads that I was a bully. Mm -hmm. None of them said that I was bullying, but she wanted to start that because what I found to, to your point was that was a form of bullying. That was a form of gaslighting. But that also hindsight being 2020 was she was intimidated because she had never done DEI work before. Mm -hmm. And so rather than admit, I don't know what I'm doing, it's like, how can I tear down the people around me that actually do? And how can I become the victim in this? Right? So again, it's another form of bullying that um, is rarely talked about. And so I appreciate us having this conversation because no one thinks of HR as the folks that could actually be the ones causing the trauma. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, as I said at the start, DEI oftentimes is thrown into HR, but many HR folks are not equipped or trained, or I, I talk about this all the time, haven't done the internal work on themselves before going into this space, right? They don't understand what it means to have unconscious bias, even though I don't talk about unconscious bias a lot, but they don't understand how to deal with their own biases or what it means to be privileged, whatever aspect of that is, male, white, whatever, um, able-bodied, how that privilege can then gaslight again, you know, folks that are marginalized, right? And so what I, what I hear, what I see is the reactions like I got, right? Oh, just get over it. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit, now that you've been doing this work a little bit more, what are some of the ways that um, bullying shows up in the workplace that people may not necessarily connect with? Yeah, so bullying can show up in a couple of different ways. And, and really what it is, is it's a persistent behavior of negative treatment of one employee by several other employees or an, another employee. And so it could show up in a number of different ways. That could look like you know, someone is constantly the butt of practical jokes. It could look like denial of paid time off. It could look like what I call workplace sabotage, where you give someone an assignment, but you don't really give them all the tools. It could also be like excessive feedback or, 
what we call micromanaging could mm-hmm. oftentimes be cross over that line into an activity that is perceived as workplace bullying. So it could show up in a number of ways inside of the workplace. But really what you're looking for is that constant, persistent mistreatment. Because yes, you know, people hear me say that and everybody gets nervous because, you know, probably at any point in our career, all of us might be accused of being a little bit of a micromanager. So managers get right. so, so so terrified when you hear that. Right. But really what, what sets bullying apart is that constant, persistent mistreatment of one particular or a group of employees over and over again. Something just really clicked as you were, were saying that because um, I've had a few people come to me over the last few years um, that have been put on performance plans. Mm-hmm. And part of that performance, part of the plan, the unspoken part of that plan is being giving work or projects with really no end goal Correct. or with no, um, they, they really don't want them to succeed, right? It's kind of like the setup project. Would that be considered a form of bullying? I think that that comes into it comes into the scheme of of the bully, especially if your bully is a manager. And a lot of the clients that I tend to have, their bully is, is usually a manager. It's not always the case, but the majority of the women that I have coached have, have been bullied by by their leader, by their person mm-hmm. leader. And so that that improvement plan it becomes a part of of the the harassment, right? It's all about the psychological safety. So if that bully can dangle that over you, because we all know the reality of of what an improvement plan really is. Like we know that Mm -hmm. there's a corporate definition for the improvement plan, but we also know, we really know what time it is when somebody starts talking about an improvement plan to you. And so a lot of bullies will kind of dangle that over you, right? And so you think it really, when you think about it, it's a form of control. And if I can constantly kind of keep this hanging over your head, and really the fear there is that you're going to lose your livelihood. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes what I have seen with with the clients that come to me that have been threatened with an improvement plan as a part of my bullying experience, I was threatened with an, with a improvement plan as well, mm-hmm. is that, that it's all a part of, of all the tools that the bully has in his or her toolkit yeah. to instill a sense of fear and control over their over their people. And you know that that then leads me to think about that is an option that is given by HR mm-hmm. to so many managers, right? So now you're adding to this toolkit of harassment of bullying um, that's systemic. Yeah. Right? Because there's a process before someone you know, can use that, that can be manipulated so that someone is now, okay, you're not performing properly. So we need Mm -hmm. to put you on a plan, right? So now there's this systemic process that is part of the organization's ego, um, the, the ecosystem that can be absolutely used in a bullying way against an employee, right? And so as you're talking and I'm thinking through that, you know, the, the question that comes to mind is what recourse do employees have in a situation like that where the bullying is part of the systemic um, inequities of the organization? Yeah, and, and this is very unfortunate, um, Sasha, but I know you, you like to be real on this show. So we have we have to be real and say, unfortunately, because in, in our country right now, we really don't have policies that specifically address workplace bullying. And oftentimes, I'm sure you know how hard it is sometimes to even 
get a case of harassment brought against a, a, a company. And so we don't have the policies right now. We don't have any kind of um, bite behind our bark when it comes to mm-hmm. workplace bullying policies. And so it's very unfortunate that in most cases, and when people ask me, they're like, hey, what would you tell somebody in a bullying situation? My answer is usually you need to start planning your exit strategy yeah. today. Yeah. And I wish that I had a better answer for you. I wish that I had a better example of companies that are doing it right. But unfortunately, right now, we just don't have that. Yeah, I absolutely so I agree. Oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, I was going to say, I absolutely agree. You know, that that is probably the only recourse that a lot of people have. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. So I was just going to say, I mean, I, I do think that's why it's so important that we have conversations like this, where other DEI practitioners who might fall into that HR category understand that this is really happening inside of your workplaces, right? When people are coming to you, particularly your people of color, they mm-hmm. are in a state of panic. They are in a state of fear. They are in a state of crisis and they are looking to you for support, for help. And so I really think that it all starts with kind of the HR having a little bit of empathy and a little bit of curiosity, because in my case, and it sounds like in your case too, we were completely written off. It was like, I'm not even going to address this. I think... I think the manager's trying to make you a better employee or perhaps you should get over it. But if we started being a little bit more curious and because you and I are both coaches and we know that curiosity is at the crux of that and start to be a little bit more curious about what is this person really saying? And is there something here? And and even if I am timid, even if I don't believe it, even if so-and-so has a great track record of being a leader, how can I at least show empathy for this person but also be a little bit curious about what it is that they're saying and how can I investigate that in a way that dignifies the person who's coming to me and also the manager until proven otherwise. Yes, I I absolutely agree with that. I think also um, something that I would add is empowering that HR leader or manager or, or whoever to not look at the individual, but step back and look at this holistically, right? Are there patterns of how this is showing up? Absolutely. Because that's one of the things that, you know, people want, like people ask me all the time and I'm like, listen, most companies, large scale, even so, even a lot of the smaller ones now, y'all know where the problems are. Like I, I, you know, they they want us to come in and tell them stuff that I'm like, y'all already know. The numbers are showing you. The track record is showing you. I'm not the first person that came in here and told you this manager was exhibiting harassing behavior. You knew that before I came in the door. Yeah. Listen, I worked for a company. And when I tell people this story, they're like, you have to be kidding me. I worked for a company where it was a sales leader. And he, you know, did he wasn't even a sales leader. He was a sales, he was on the sales team. Um was doing a good job, but business, you know, company, business meeting, what have you, got a little drunk and cussed out the founder. Ain't nobody say nothing, swept it under the rug. HR was there. Another year happened. He gets on the microphone, cusses out the founder again. Nothing happens. We happened to be at a dinner in um, North, in the Northeast. I'm the only black woman in the entire room. And this was like 2016, 2015, excuse me. 
And he goes on this whole tirade of how he was voting for the president that we all never talk about, mm -hmm. right? So how he was going to, you know, vote for this person and went in and ended up saying, well, racism came back with Obama. And everybody looked at me. His boss was there and his boss's boss were there. And the person over to my left says, oh, don't report them. You know, that's just how he is. And I'm like, that's the problem. That is the problem. That is the problem. And so I'm not just reporting him. I'm reporting all of you. All three of y'all, because y'all let this foolishness happen. Yeah. At that point, we ended up having a new CEO. And I had been working with him on some other like diversity stuff with the company. And I said, regardless of what you say the company culture is, he defines your culture because that's what you allow to happen. He has gone unchecked all this time. Nobody has said or done anything. And so when it came back to HR and they were, he was just, you know, the head of HR was just like, oh, well, um, you know, he's not really harming anybody. <laughs> but then it also came out, this man was showing inappropriate pictures of, you know, his niece was a, a cheerleader for a professional team showing pictures. So I'm like, y'all have this, y'all know, you know exactly who he is, but this is what you allow to happen. And everyone that has felt uncomfortable or yeah. um, targeted in any way because of he's just who he is, that's a workplace bully. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you allowed this to happen, right? So that now becomes your company culture, regardless of what's on your website. Absolutely. So I share that to kind of support, you know, what you were saying in that the stuff has to be checked. But again, many organizations know who the problems are. Mm -hmm. It's just, do you have the guts <laughs> to actually call them out and do something about it? Right. And that's, yeah. that's what it boiled down to. Yeah, and that's what it boils down to. And just, you know, a point that you were making about, oh, he's not causing any harm. And I heard this on, on this show, actually, it was a couple of episodes back where you guys were talking about specifically like being trauma informed. And the guest, I won't remember her name, but she said something that I think is so profound that we do not get to determine, we do not get to decide what trauma looks like for other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we can start to approach this work and leaders start to approach what trauma looks like and what harm looks like and psychological safety from a place of, you don't get to define it for other people. Yep. But we can create a new culture together, but we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. It is going to take not allowing this person who that's just who they are to continue to be that way and do harm. Because really what you're saying is, I'm okay that you are being harmed because I wanna keep him comfortable. So really and, what you're saying is you're sacrificing my psychological safety for this person's and everybody else who is not speaking up if we're being real about it. Well, I think it's that and um, they're looking at the bottom line, right? Mm -hmm. If this person is bringing in sales, if this person is, helping our bottom line, then mm -hmm. I'd rather keep them, right? Because they're making us money, but they're not necessarily thinking big picture in 
how many people are you losing and having to backfill because of that foolishness, yeah. right? So you're losing probably more money than he's bringing in by not dealing with that problem or that situation. Yeah, I want to do a little bit of a pivot because one of the things that I think is so important as we have these conversations is how do you educate people on what to look for when it comes to bullying, right? So let's say I go to my manager and say, you know, so-and-so has been doing X, Y, and Z. Oftentimes, as you said before, people kind of dismiss that as like, oh, you know, that's just whatever. What are some of the things that people can, managers, I want to say people managers specifically, um, need to be aware of yeah. when people come to them? So I think that managers need to be, a, the first thing that I think managers need to do is learn how to kind of listen actively. And we know what active listening actually is. It's be quiet. <laughs> it's it's really trying to understand and make sure that you comprehend what the other person is saying to you before you take action or before you decide what side of the fence that you want to be on. But it's just to listen actively. And I think that leaders also need to start to get to a place where we center people who have traditionally been marginalized in our DEI conversations. I mean, I, this is my personal thing. Sometimes I get so annoyed at like the women's DEI group because it's like all women Ooh. at this company are not having the same experience. Mm -mm. So <laughs> let, can, we, can we talk them. about that? <laughs> and really start to, I mean, you know, if we're really going to kind of have this transition that we've been trying to have since summer of 2020, then we have to start talking to the people that we want to um, support in these efforts. And oftentimes it's still very much this like streamlined, all women, all this, all that. And it's like, well, no, we're not all having the same experience. So can we get a look, can we get a little bit more depth to that? And then I think, I think managers have to decide for themselves, what kind of culture am I going to support? Yeah. Period. Yeah. Am I going to be the kind of manager who allows bullies to keep bullying or am I going to be the kind of manager that says not on my watch? And am I going to empower the rest of my team to also take that approach? Yeah. I love that. The question that came to mind, because, you know, coaches be thinking questions. <laughs> um, That's is, right. is, is what I'm feeling hindering my ability to support the person on my team. Yeah. Right. And so that's not me defining what that feeling is. But first think about what are you feeling when somebody comes to you? Are you feeling frustration or fear or anger or confused? Like whatever that is, because that's yours to own. That has nothing to do with that person. Right. Absolutely. So is what you're feeling hindering how you can support that person? And so many managers, and just even from my own personal experience, have never experienced what I've experienced. But because of that, they didn't know what to do and kind of froze, um, which hindered their way of supporting me. Yeah. Right. And so that's one of the biggest questions that I think people really need to think about and sit with. Um, because if your feeling is hindering how you're supporting someone, what else could you do? Yeah. Right. And what do you need in order to kind of get over your feelings? Because this, to your point, right, center that person and not yourself. 
That's right. That's right. And I also think, and I don't know if you see this with your managers or not, Sasha, but we have got to get over leaders and people leaders not wanting to ask for help. Like, it seems like we have kind of swung this pendulum the other way where you don't see the same level of investment in people leaders. And you just see that a lot of this is just from a complete, like, place of inexperience you know I was really great at my sales job and yep. now they promoted me to the manager of the team and I don't know what to do with these people yesterday I was having lunch with them and today I'm their manager yeah like maybe it's time for you to get coaching and it's okay to say this people leader part I don't know how to do this and company if if we're gonna be in partnership together on this how about we get me some help with that but I yep. just see managers floundering so often when I'm like you just get you a coach first. Start with start with that so that you can work yep. through some of these issues that you have personally. Because a lot of this does stem from I'm feeling a little a little intimidated because perhaps I'm aware that my team is a little bit more experienced than me. And so I'm projecting mm-hmm. that fear and onto my team when maybe if you get an outside perspective on how can I leverage that? How can I lean into what I don't know and empower some other people and figure out a way for all of us to work together? How do I start there? But I think we do have to empower managers to like stop this like fake facade of you've got it all together. I know it all. We are looking, right. we're looking from the other side and we know you don't. We know you don't have it all together. Right. Your employees know you don't have it all together. They know you don't have it all together. <laughs> But, you know, I'm so glad you said that because one of the most popular experiential learning sessions that I offer is the People's Manager's Guide to Psychological Safety, right? Because it's not just talking about psychological safety, but you as a people manager, what can you do to help create psychological safety for your team, Yes. right? And so much of it comes from me coaching leaders and managers and them not even realizing I'm like you know not everyone is the same as you yeah right just because you could put together eight widgets and now they're in, they're doing the widgets doesn't mean they're all going to do it the same way that you do right right and so have you asked them how can I best support you mm-hmm. and that one little question you should see folks like oh I never thought about it <laughs> Right. Because we we think that we have to do it all. And I remember this, I think it was a meme or something like during the very early days or the heightened days of the pandemic, when it was like, yeah, if you don't know how to be like the teacher and the working from home and all of that, that's great. None of us know how to do it. Right. Like none of us really come to this place of leadership really fully understanding what it means. And it's so vague, like your style of leadership is going to be completely different from mine, but we're trying to like create this false sense of like perfect leadership that doesn't exist. And so I love that question because I think it frees people up to decide how am I going to lead this group? Because it doesn't look the same for everyone. It doesn't look exactly. Yeah, asking that person, how can I support you? You're going to get a completely different answer. And you start to learn that, yeah, what leadership and what solid leadership looks like for this team is actually different for every person on the team. And now you start to model equity. Right? I'm telling you, I sneak in the vegetables. That part. (laughs) That part. Sneak it in. You know, you're like, oh, this is, that's equity. Um, but I think that that's, it's so key 
is how do we, you know, support these people managers, one, so that they feel empowered, but two, it kind of takes that onus off of HR and doing a lot of this facilitation Mm -hmm. and mediation that many managers should be equipped to do. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, I just want to make sure we, you know, we kind of come full back, full circle in that <clears throat> I think if managers are also equipped with how to have, I don't want to say courageous conversations, but how do you mediate issues and challenges, right? How do you have, if there are two people on your team that aren't getting together or are not getting along, right? Yeah. You should have a certain level of tools or skills and resources available to you before it gets escalated. Yeah. And what I'm noticing is people are like, oh, nope, we're going to pull in HR. And so there's this fear of, I don't want to say or do the wrong thing. And it's like, no, you need to be empowered to be a leader in this space and manage this situation, right? Absolutely. Before it gets escalated. And so I think that's where you could start to address some of the bullying also before yeah. it gets to that level. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So we just kind of went all over the place, but I, I love this. We did. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That is, yeah, yeah, I told you when we started, like we're, we're going to go there. Um, so as you're doing this work and you continue to work with um, women in these very difficult situations, people in these very difficult situations, how do you take care of yourself? Like, how do you fill your cup? What do you do? Yeah. So I actually have started this thing where, um, I'm going to out myself so y'all can hold me accountable that I keep doing it. <laughs> but I actually started doing this thing. Someone challenged me to get up at 4 a.m. And I have done 4 a.m. I think I think 4.30 is going to be my sweet spot. But I call it my rise and grind day. And okay. it's really kind of just, it's a rise and grind for me. Because I get that time in my morning to sit. I do my devotional. I journal my powerful thoughts for the day. I meditate. I move my body. And that really has been such a grounding activity for me. Mm. And so that, I mean, I know, you know, we think of self-care, we think of like hair and nails and all that. That's like self-maintenance and fun to me, but really like caring for me is having that quiet time in the mornings. And I also like don't have any screens other than like my computer. So I I will do some work eventually. Um, But it's having those, having that quiet cup of coffee, time to really think about how do I want to be intentional about my day? What thoughts do I want to carry with me into my day? And sitting with that, meditating, moving my body again with those intentional thoughts in my spirit and letting that fill my spirit. And then marrying that with like no screen time and getting to work. Yeah. That is has been like my best self-care routine in a long time. I love that. I don't know if I could do 430 because oof. You know, it. I didn't. I didn't know I could do it either. Because <laughs> this right here is not a morning person at all. Like you get me at a good ten a.m., I'm on it. But I hear you. Listen, what, whatever works for you. The, the, the four thirty is is working for me right now. But that's why I'm putting it out there so people can keep holding me accountable. Holding me accountable. That's but right. it, it you know, I don't. I don't recommend it. Right. But, you know, I I do appreciate that because even though I joke and say, you know, 10 a.m. is good, I know that I don't start my day like with clients until 10. Right. So wake up at 730. You know, my morning is doing stuff. But my my, I know about myself, like my mind isn't sharp until about that time. 
Um, and I can give you 110%, right, at, at yeah. that time. So, but I appreciate um, you sharing that because I think so many people um, are looking for different ways to take care of self or even focus on the day and just being able to, I love that rise and grind because that's, yeah, it's kind of sets your intention. Yeah. For and, and, and I, for you, right. It's, it's not yeah. necessarily for work. It's and, the time yeah. for you. And I, I do want to say this, like 430 is something I'm trying out because I've always wanted to try that little Mark Wahlberg early AM thing. Uh -huh. But don't get hung up on that. Whatever your rise and grind time is going to be, it's just really being intentional about how you start your day and starting mm -hmm. it from a place where you are fully grounded. I love it. Zanika, if people wanted to get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Oh, I'm everywhere. I'm all in these internet streets. You can email me. You know, I'm like Kim Possible, baby. You can call me, beat me if you want to reach me. Um, but it's Zanika Chapman on LinkedIn and Facebook. And it's Z underscore Chatman um, over on Instagram. I, I tend to hang out a lot on Instagram and LinkedIn. So Wonderful. those are probably the best places to find me. But I'm in these internet streets hard. <laughs> me too. Everybody's like, you're always everywhere. And I'm like, mm. like scheduler. But anyway, <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. joining us and having this conversation. I'm hoping that people were able to take a few nuggets out of that because um, there is some empowerment that needs to, to take place. Um, but then also some recognition of that bullying and, and how we can start to squash that early. So thank you again for, for joining us and being with us. And everyone, thank you for watching this episode or listening in on this episode of DEI After Five. And as always, you can reach us um, through socials as we were just talking about, or you can find new episodes on YouTube every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. Eastern or on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, have a good one.